0: Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got uh, three guests who are all uh, academic professionals. They are working in the school environment, uh, doing everything from social work to counseling to alumni support, Um, and they've been in various roles in schools over the last several years. Uh, As we get set um, in uh, in America to go back to school in some form or fashion. Uh, there have been multiple schools, including my own kid's school, uh, who've already been back in school virtually and, uh, and and rolling that way for two weeks or so. Um, around the world, schools, some schools have reopened in person and virtual. So this is a conversation that really is relevant for uh, anybody listening, no matter where you're at, uh, because one of the things that we are going to talk about is, is the surge, the recent surge in... Uh, looking at trauma-informed, healing-centered engagement style uh, care for children in schools um, across across academics, and so um, is this working? Uh, what is the need for this? Why were the traditional methods of of caring for kids and disciplining and um, and redirecting all uh, why were those not working? And then we'll just look at uh, going forward. What are ways as a as a parent that you can advocate? Uh, for your kids and for your teachers in schools. Um, what are ways as teachers, what are some practical methods you can put into place to help uh, during a pandemic, make sure that uh, your kids are feeling secure and safe? Um, what are the benefits of having um, an attachment-centered mindset for a classroom? We, we dive into all of that stuff. Uh, and the three ladies on the show today, uh, Becca Tarleton, Jackie fields and Jocelyn Lee, uh, are all good friends, which you'll hear that. Um, but they all have worked in- in multiple different school environments uh, around the country. And so uh, it'll be really fascinating to be able to hear that uh, perspective from them. Um, You'll want to stick around and make sure you you, uh, make it to the end uh, because at the end, uh, they just talk about uh, ways for... uh, you as a parent to advocate for your kids in the school, ways for you as an educator to advocate for your kids, both in the school and um, building bridges with parents. Um, it's a really, really helpful, practical, um, interesting episode about what it looks like when we are uh, when we are attachment centered and um, and healing centered in our approach to. Um, caring for kids in schools. So I, I don't think you'll want to miss it. Uh, it's a great conversation with Jocelyn Lee, Jackie Fields, and Becca Tarleton. Here they are now. Well, all right, we're here with our guest today with Jocelyn Lee, with Jackie Fields, and with Becca Tarleton. And uh, before we get into uh, our topic today, talking about schools and about Uh, the work of uh, being an educator and uh, the need for parents themselves to uh, understand uh, education a little bit better. Um, Let me just introduce each of them uh, individually. Obviously, you've met Jackie before if you've been listening to the podcast, um, and so you should go back and listen to her episode uh, as well. And uh, for those of you who have not met Becca Tarleton yet, Becca, will you just kind of give us a brief introduction of who you are and, and where you're from and all that?
1: Sure. Um, My name is Becca, and I grew up in Moscow, Russia, where my parents were missionaries, and then moved back to Tennessee for college. Ended up doing an urban ministry internship for one year in Memphis. Met J.D. Wilson, worked with him at a school, and never left. (laughs) Um, So since that, that internship, I have done... Uh, I got a master's of social work, and I did some more work in the schools for a little bit before I transitioned to the Memphis Family Connection Center, uh, which those of you who are familiar with Empowered to Connect may have heard of. And so I worked with them for the first two years of the organization. So I helped kind of in the very beginning, dreaming and getting stuff uh, getting stuff out there a couple of years. And at MFCC, we were partnering with a lot of schools in Memphis to talk about how the principles could be used in the classrooms. And through that and a couple of other connections, I ended up being hired as a school counselor at a local elementary school. So this is my third school year, definitely my most interesting school year to date. Um, I have grown into, uh, our school calls it the attachment village office. Other schools might call it uh, behavioral support or discipline, socio-emotional support. And so in that office is myself and two associate deans. And we just help students with all kinds of different challenges and strengths and needs. And yeah, we work together to try to support families. And so that's me um, I love ETC, love what it brings to families and educators and have benefited from that a lot in awesome. my own work.
0: Awesome. Uh, what those of you will not hear Becca say, because she's just not going to say this, um, is that if you have gone through any content from ETC in the last, um, in the last little bit, or, uh, if you are prepping in the future, uh, to go through, Uh, ETC parent training or um, any of the new courses that'll be offered in the near future, uh, you will be experiencing Becca's genius uh, in her writing and um, helping reform the content and and edit it and get it out. Um, She is brilliant in that facet, so we're really glad to have her today. Uh, Jocelyn Lee, will you introduce yourself and uh, let us know uh, where you're from and what you do?
2: Yeah, I'm Jocelyn Lee, and I am currently a licensed master social worker and a licensed school social worker here in Memphis. Um, This is my fifth school year as a school social worker. My husband and I moved to Memphis in 2015 and jumped right in um, and worked at a school where I actually got a chance to work with Jackie and Becca. So that's how we know each other. Um, prior to that, I came from Savannah, Georgia. I had worked there for three-ish years, um, in mediation actually, and did, um, civil and juvenile court mediation. Um, prior to that, did a stint in youth ministry for a year. Um, and I don't know, go all the way back and, uh, born in the States, lived overseas for a long time, came back to the States, uh, went to college here, uh, in America and grad school and, um. Started learning about like what was good for kids probably when I moved to Memphis and started working full time with kids um, and then got introduced to ETC as really a certification, you know, continuing education opportunity yeah. for my license. And then from there really kind of felt like I felt I met and became part of a group of people that believe the same thing as I did. I just didn't know that. Um, So ETC has at least helped me like see that, oh, what I've been feeling and what I've been thinking is good for kids is actually a thing. Um, and so that was good to find out. Um, and so since then have just been pushing myself to keep learning and, um, pushing
0: others to
2: learn with me. Um,
0: yeah. And so that, you know, Jocelyn is not lying. Um, you can't see this in the podcast, but in her, uh, in her office behind her <laughs> is a feelings chart, which is, uh, a very ETC element there. So, uh, Jackie, you, um, obviously were on, uh, one of our earlier episodes, and uh, we talked a lot on that episode about your, your history and education, but um, if you don't mind, will you just kind of explain your, your role, uh, maybe your, your last role and then your current role um, in schools and kind of how you, um, how you operate in schools right now?
3: So, J.D., that sounds boring. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I would much rather piggyback on what Jocelyn said. about having an intuition about what was going on with children, what was happening in schools Mm -hmm. and with families. And it was almost like a confirmation bias, if we could use psychological terms about it. Like there's something we knew we should be doing and we were trying. And then we had to find like-minded people, research resources out there to give us the language, uh, and I I tell um, my my friends really this, I'm online with my right now this is my family okay these are my right peeps. right 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 these are my peeps because we had to find each other you know we were talking about treating kids in a way that really was not acceptable yeah. uh, when we started using the language years ago and we took a lot of heat for it we took a lot some of us were ran ran out of schools for it as a matter of fact
0: oh yeah yeah
3: um and so uh, to me what's so interesting is now it's just everywhere like the language is everywhere people are clamoring you know to know more even though they say they want to know more (laughs) <laughs> they don't really want to know more. They want to put a check in the box. Right. They, they've done that training. But when it comes down to implementing the practices in classrooms, in school buildings, and at home, there's a disconnect.
0: Yeah. And I think what I found is that um, <laughs> people want the results, right? And so sometimes it's even a well meaning, Uh, a well-meaning disconnect of like, okay, well, I'm going to use the right language. But like, obviously when a kid's out of line, like they've got to be brought back in lot, you know, it is a life altering way of operating. Like, um, and so uh, that goes in schools as well. And I I, I was, uh, Jackie, you and Becca and I were working together uh, in a school when uh, we first went through and when Elizabeth and I first went through uh, the etc parent training course years ago and were introduced to all of these principles and i mean it's it's similar to what everybody has said in this conversation there there were just a bunch of aha moments of like i knew i knew there was something to this right like i knew that it's not just goofy old jd's great with kids like and i just had some natural knack for something there there was something in the way that uh Now, at my core personally, I would say like operating in a in a in a manner trying to imitate the way that I believe Jesus would interact with children. Like I think that that had part of that had part of my heart uh, geared that way. But then uh, for me, the biggest thing is uh, early on in studying Doctor Purvis's work, and then in um, reading whether it's Dan Siegel or anyone afterward, it was seeing. Oh well, like there's just scientific research backing all of this stuff up, and 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 not only does does it not back up the ways that we are previously trying to, <laughs> trying to uh, do these things, it the research actively, um, actively disproves the other methods from being the most effective methods out there, and so I think we were all kind of getting to see that together in our own work uh, around the same time. And so the the difference that we saw and the kids that we interacted with and the relationships there um, made a massive massive difference. And and I can think of all of us have and anyone who works with kids has their you know air quote one kid story. Uh, this kind of their first milestone uh, moment they had. And one of the one of the first kids I started doing kind of individual inter, uh, intervention with, if you want to call it that. Um, really was just because this kid's classroom teacher was sick of him and <laughs> didn't know what to do with them because he was a bull in a china shop. Um, and he was, uh, literally the biggest kid in the class and just the, like always laughing in class clown and, um, you know, very avoidant with everything. Um, but just, you know, was really difficult to rein in. And I remember I would take him, uh, Every day around the around the same time, and we would start to do just work with class and and talk. And as we built a relationship, all of a sudden, this entire another world opened up. Uh, one, he learned quicker, but then two, there were there were some immediate measures in place of. I started to learn what set him off i started to learn what his biggest triggers were and then i could communicate that to teachers and kind of backdoor create safe environments for him by knowing like well he flipped out on this but here's kind of the backstory of why he flipped out here so if you can kind of keep that in mind it'll help you to keep him on track and he'll be your best leader if you can you know help him feel safe and help him feel included and in all that and so that was all happening for me, and and, and Becca was kind of there to witness it, and Jackie was there to witness it. And so um, after that, I knew there was something to it. It wasn't just that my kids at home responded well to this, but I'm now seeing, like, you know, one of the kids that everyone else was having a hard time with, like, th- these principles worked to create a, a connection. Becca, I'd like to start there with you if we can. We, we talked a lot about um, attachment before we started recording today, and just... Um, Obviously, that is a a buzzword that, that, like Jackie said, is starting to creep in in these settings, but it's not always talked about um, from a place of knowledge. It's usually just regurgitating a line from a book. Can you kind of walk us through why attachment is really at the core of of any of these conversations, whether it's parenting or kind of caregiving or teaching, educating, all of that?
1: Absolutely. First, I have to piggyback on your story about that student because I remember you working with him every day in the office And one of the things that I remember is on my like second day as an intern was one of the times when he came down to meet with you and you immediately when he walked in, he walked past me and you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, this is Miss Becca. Can you say hi, Miss Becca? And you like walked him through that interaction with me. And so from the jump you were using your relationship with him to help him build relationships with more people. And I just think that's so beautiful. And I don't think that you were doing it because you read that in a book somewhere that said, (laughs) hey, you should do this. But like the way that you are with kids, every opportunity is a teaching opportunity. And I think that that's something that as you get into this work, if it becomes natural to you, He could have just walked past me. I was an intern. It was my second day. I was probably making copies for the after school clubs and he could have just walked past me and talked to you. And that would have been fine. But instead you saw an opportunity for him to make another positive connection. And by the end of the time that I was there, he knew me by name. He would say hi to me without being prompted. And so I just think that that's really beautiful to start there with that story. Um, I had heard of attachment like in a psychology class in college, And they talk about Bowlby and they talk about the strange situation with Mary Ainsworth. And you hear this like weird 80s psychology, which I'm not, it's not weird 80s psychology, but you hear and you watch this video in the psychology class and you're like, what is happening and why are they filming these kids? Um, But as you dig into the research, it just tells you so much about kids and adults and human development. And so I knew that it was important from a psychology class. I never thought it was practical. I thought that's something that you read for a test. And I got that question right on number (laughs) 16 is A. And so that's kind of how I saw it in college. And then I end up, you know, here in Memphis, totally like culture shock, new atmosphere for me. And all of a sudden it's, it becomes more about the relationships, right? So What I felt, what I learned and what a lot of people assume is that the more that you treat a kid like they're an adult, the more they'll act like an adult, treat them like they're grown and they'll act grown, Uh, give them a lot of responsibility and they'll rise to the occasion. And that's just what I thought. That's what I learned. That's what I saw. And so there was all of these high expectations. um, And I am here to say high expectations are great and important and good with so much high support right? And that's attachment. So attachment is the high expectations and the high support. You can't have one without the other. And if you look at a, you know, textbook on psychology, they'll give you four, like a grid with four things in it. And it's high support with high demands. It's high support with no demands. It's no support and no demands. And it's high and high, right? So you want high support and high expectations. And that's kind of the foundation, right? So that's all the psychology or whatever. So I'd heard it, you know, I learned it. I kind of started to get a feel for it, and then I go to this school where the the number one book that they have staff read is called "Hold On to Your Kids" by Gordon Newfeld. And so, what he did was help me to see that attachment is not just good because it feels good; attachment is good because it enables the kid to grow. Um, oh, and so, he has a that quote is that is huge. Says, yeah, you—that's how the kid grows. So, he has a quote that says, "When when he the child asks for a hug." We give him a warmer one than the one he's giving us. We liberate children not by making them work for our love, but by letting them rest in it. And he goes on and on. But what he says is it's not a reward that I'm dangling in front of you where I will love you if when. It's that they feel so much love and support that they are enabled to go down that scary slide, jump off that you know, jump off that diving board. Like they're able to do the things that scare them. Yeah. So I could go on and on, but I'll, st- I'll stop there for a minute.
0: Well, that, I mean, I think that that isn't honestly, we could end the podcast right there <laughs> because that is an enormous, enormous, uh, principle to, to tackle. And if you can, if, if you can allow a culture to have that permeate, it does change everything. Um, Jackie, I see your hand raised about this. Would you talk more about that? (laughs) You know, because
3: something that uh, Becca said just resonates with me so much, and I know Jocelyn's going to chime in on this, is in schools, we've gotten away from using child development. Like, our practices around how we educate kids, Uh, first of all, calling them scholars when they're still students, when they're children. Uh, I'm just going to leave that there. Go ahead, Jocelyn. (laughs) Can you pick it up?
2: I mean, I just, I, everything that Becca was saying um, and is continuing to say, and, you know, she and I talk pretty frequently too, just to learn from each other um, is so true. And I think the piece too, is that we, we um, forget sometimes. I think I forget sometimes that like good attachment, good relationships builds trust and safety and especially for kids that come from hard places that's like their number one need and so when we go into places that kind of talk about it but they don't do it instead their interpretation of meeting a need right is like very specific rules very specific directions and that's that doesn't make me as an adult feel safe right um right. right if I don't have a relationship with you what does it matter that you have 10 rules for me in my class I don't Who are you? What is your name? What do you like to do, right? So it is also like trying to help teachers and parents too. I'm a parent. I have to learn this, that I'm a human being. Yeah. We're human beings. At the end of the day, at some point, sometimes we forget what it means to be a human. And so we expect things out of people, especially little ones, that we don't expect for ourselves and know that it's impossible for us to do sometimes. Right. Um, and so there's that, too, of, like, it's constantly, like, stepping forward with what we know but stepping back to realize that, like, if, I, if that is what's true, then I have to make sure that I'm doing that well. well that yes. Says, Amen, a Jocelyn. Yeah.
3: Somehow I feel like structure... Systems, um, you know, making sure an environment is free of chaos by by implementing rules and regulations. Somehow, we've taken that and and erased the love factor out of it, the relationship factor, the attachment factor. Um, Because if you think about it, you know, we we talk all the time with teachers one on one. Teaching one on one is about building relationship with your children, right? We say that every year. And if you even go further, if if you think about young parents, and some of you are young parents, what do they teach us about our children right off the bat? That newborn baby needs to uh, be warm, feel the warmth of their mother, right? Yeah. They need to feel that attachment. And so intuitively, we know that attachment is so important. But again, Becca gives us the resource that confirms the bias, if you're bent that way and you have that bias. If you're not, you need to get this book and you need to start leaning in that (laughs) direction.
0: Well, and I do think, Jackie, that's why the research is so important. The four of us do naturally have a personality bent where we're going to naturally be more empathetic, more um, uh, warm-natured communicators with kids. Uh, But that's not why it's important. It's not important because look how effective we are when we're nice to kids. It's not that. It's the research shows that what we're actually doing and what's actually happening in their brains is a foundation for learning is being poured and then it's being allowed to set and become hard. And then things can be built on top of that attachment at a faster rate and at a more effective rate than if you if you were to do that strictly through just trying to go through the machine and, you know, put it in there by force, right? And so... Um, I, I think that's super, super important for us to, to keep on. Uh, Becca, practically, when you go to a, when you get to a, a school where that is the, uh, the MO, can you talk to us about some of the practical elements that that is um, like how that looks practically within your school?
1: Um, so let me say this. Let me say I've worked in two schools and one leaned more towards the structure and one leaned more towards the nurture in this kind of balancing act. And let me just say, both are super, super important. And you can't have one without the other because neither one works. Neither one is the environment for the kid to grow. And so I saw excellent educators, the people on this podcast and more who were finding the balance. And it's a journey just like with anything, there's not... perfect place in the world. But everywhere you go, whether you go into a highly structured home or school or a highly nurturing home or school, there's people that are trying to find the balance. And that's just something that you should look for in your, you know, in your own child's school, in your community, in your home, like look for that and see where you are. Practically speaking, it's about creating the time and space for it to happen. So high structure, do this in three seconds and go moves more quickly than high nurture. Hi, what's your name? I see you have a Pokemon hat on today. Do you like Pokemon? Takes more time. And so one of the things that you have to be able to do is to build in that time and to see that as an urgent, important task. Yeah. If connection is an urgent, important task, then you build the time for it and the space. And so you know, one way that they do that at the school that I'm at now is that I'm in the car line every morning along with my team members. And we're in the car line, not because nobody else can open a car door or not because, you know, during COVID, nobody else can take a temperature, but because it's important that we build that village. And I do want to shout out the attachment village for all of us for a second, because, if you're a parent, you may be thinking, well, how does the teacher fit in? And if you're a teacher, you may be thinking, well, I'm not their parent. I didn't have them in the in the ba- in the the cradle. Like I wasn't rocking them to sleep. The thing that research shows us time and time again is that every child needs one safe adult. Um, yeah. But I believe that if a kid has 10 cheerleaders, that's great, right? Yeah. There's no limit yes. to, to the benefits of having a safe village, people that support you and love you. Um, some of us naturally have huge families and we support each other. Some of us come from where we're the only child. Some of us come from high support. Some of us had to do a lot on our own. And so as a teacher, as a parent, if you just look for those connections, I think that's really key. And if you are a teacher, um, just know that the time you spend with a child, whether it be virtual or in person, can be crucial. And I think, you know, back to that same young man, I think, JD, that you made a huge impact on that, young man's life. And the work is really hard. If you're an educator or a parent day by day, it's really hard to see progress. It's really hard to measure growth. So one thing that Miss Jackie always does a good job of reminding me of is to look for those few, look for those few moments, those few wins, write them down, remind yourself, tell your friends so that you can ha- have those to hang on to during the hard times. Cause it's real hard. Um, sorry, you asked about practical. So let's build <laughs> time and space. Yeah. And then routines and rhythms and rituals, right? Yeah. Come up with a with a high five or a handshake. If you're a parent, come up with a goodbye ritual. Um, you know, I mentioned my parents are missionaries. Every morning before we went to school, we stood in a circle, we held hands, and we said the Lord's Prayer. And that feels kind of formal and, you know, may not be in your comfort level. But for me as a kid, I didn't know that my parents were building in a rhythm and a ritual that made me feel like, oh, the day is starting. And that was from when I can remember when I was two until the last day of my high school senior year. Whoever was in the home, I have older siblings that graduated and went to college, but whoever was in that home in the mornings, we stood in a circle, we held hands, and we said that prayer together. And so just find the ways to build in those rhythms and routines and build the time for it, because it takes time.
2: Yeah. Jackie?
1: I
3: really appreciate um, Becca highlighting the fact that it's not either or, it's and, uh, because you 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 need both and, right? yeah They complement each other. And the fact that it is super, super hard work and just want to remind us that this whole mindset of urgency comes from a noble place, right? We recognize that we have students who are, you know, so far behind. Um, The opportunity gap is a chasm. And so people are running, 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 trying to fill up trying to catch up, trying to help students succeed. And sometimes you run so fast and haste makes waste, right? Yeah. And so I really appreciate uh, Becca pointing out that we need both and. It's not either or.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think, so it's it's important to mention the schools that we've worked in together um, were, were in areas that are um, are definitely um you would look at them from the outside as resource depleted, like there there are not a lot of the same traditional resources available as there are in X, Y, or Z, you know, top school district in that county or in that city, whatever. And so um, in Memphis specifically, part of the reason that Memphis is, is mentioned um, it, with a lot of emphasis in this conversation um, about academics is because uh, the average ACT score in Memphis's lowest-performing communities is between 14 and 16, but the average uh, the average uh, ACT score in the highest-performing public schools in in the same city are between 23 to 26. Uh, and then uh, there's a massive portion of the kind of upper crust schools in this city that are private, and those students average above 28 on the ACT. Now. Uh, this is important to mention because uh, what, ha- what you have in Memphis is this wild disparity between haves and haves-nots. And if you could look at a map, you would see a corridor where uh, the-, the school scores are-, are really good. And then off of that road, the further you go, the school scores get really bad. Um, and usually those numbers associate with um, income level and poverty level and all of that. So uh, the reason that Memphis has been... Um, such a laboratory for academics in the last few years is that there's a large number of schools um, that are, that are having a tough time um, getting their students where they need to be by state standards. And so there now have been a lot of um, academic reform efforts happening here. Um, and so what we're, what we're really able to start seeing now is uh, a little bit of data over the last 10, 12 years to say, Here's what might be working um, because some of the schools that are adopting these certain principles are beginning to achieve at a rate and a level that is not happening um, with some more traditional methods that are happening at other schools. And so, um, you know, Jocelyn, one of the things that, that we're seeing now, um, and, I, and it's not just in Memphis, but it's in a lot of city centers across the country, are um, the, the creation of third party or, not, uh, you know, third party outside kind of nonprofit um, groups that can say, Hey, we know the school doesn't have the capacity to offer X, Y, or Z service, um, as you know, because the, the funding's not there, we'll come in and we'll add that, uh, service in the schools. And and so you've actually had the benefit of working in a school and now for one of the nonprofits. Um, will you talk about what that experience has been for you and kind of the, the benefits and the, and the drawbacks that you've had in that role?
2: Yeah, sure. So definitely, um, similar to what everybody else has been saying, you know, there is no perfect model for how to do this. Um, I wish I could tell you, go research this one school. They're doing it great. There are some schools that are doing it better um, than some of us are, but they're not doing it great. Um, And so I think that at least should give us some encouragement to know that there's a ways to go for everyone. There isn't somebody who's met it and that we're all just behind. We're all a little bit behind um, and some of us a little bit more than others. Um, But yeah, so... Uh, worked for a school for three years inside of a school, um, providing counseling services as a school social worker. Um, and there are benefits, of course, with being on staff at a school because you're there all the time, you're able to meet the families, you're a part of the community. Um, and I think that's a big piece um, for building that relationship is being a part of the community. Um, and I think we forget that. I think a lot of us drive there. Do our job nine to five right well it's like seven to five and then we drive home and we forget that we're still a part of this community because we spent the majority of us who work in schools we spend more time with these kids during those 180 days than we, than they do with their parents, with their family, with their caregiver, with their siblings. So we are, we are spending a a significant amount of time there. So we are a part of their community. And so even more reason for us to be pushing into that relational capacity, right? Like knowing who they are, knowing their name, like knowing the things that they like, because we're with them all the time. Um, so, transition from there to now working for a nonprofit that partners with local charter schools and public schools to provide additional support, you know, um, sometimes called wraparound services. Um, You know, that, that's also a kind of a a big word that kind of floats around where we're just constantly like throwing stuff at these families (laughs) or these communities that don't have it. And I think, you know, Obviously, I'm grateful that we have this work that we're able to provide for these schools that don't have the ability to do that. Um, but also for me, I wish like part of me wishes I didn't have that job because that means that my job is taken by a person in the school, in the community doing that 24 right? seven. Right. So. Right. That aside, um, I think what is beneficial with an outside partner coming in is that because you've created a partnership with the school, there is some mutual respect in understanding what that partnership will be. And so there is some understanding of, okay, I trust you. You seem to be the expert in this X, Y, and Z, right? The the organization I work with, focuses on attendance and um, mental health support, which is what I do. Um, And so that's definitely a needed service. The school that I'm at didn't have kind of an in-house person to do that for years. And so now we get the chance to do that for families, which is awesome. Um, But then there are things that are hard about that, right? Because then I am an outsider. So I don't know the teachers very well. I don't know the family very well. That's on me to know.
0: Oh no, we lost (laughs) Jocelyn. Now build
2: relationships with the families, with the kids. Sorry, you there?
0: Yeah, yeah, we got you now. Sorry, it it froze for about eight seconds then cut back in. We'll cut that part out, yeah.
2: Okay, well, you run into the problem where you end up having um, community partners that come in and provide a really good service, but they're not there every day. Or the contract ends and the next year they're not there. And so for for attachment's sake and for like trust's sake, that's not healthy and that's not helpful, especially for communities that are already... Needing to have these resources more readily and accessible to them, Um, so you know my hope is that I also, alongside of like working every day, am also using my privilege and my power and my voice to advocate for that to be a part of what everyone experiences at school. Um, Because even if you go on the private school end not every private school has a counselor that functions in a counselor role. They have an academic advisor who will get you to college, but they don't have a person that you can talk to about what's going on at home. We just assume that, I guess, if you can pay, you don't have problems, right? Right. Um, And so sometimes that's a problem too. And we just have to understand that for a person to be seen as a whole person, they need all that support. They need a teacher, they need a counselor, they need some adult. And um, sometimes we don't think about that. We just assume that the people we have in the building are good enough. And, you know, we can always have more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, I want to shift to parents for a second. And um, I think every educator, every um, person who works in a school has their list of things in the back pocket they wish that parents knew about how the school operated or what teachers need or the support that they need to have, um, how they can help the school, how they can advocate for themselves um, within the school. Uh, Jackie, I, I think like this is maybe if maybe the biggest wheelhouse you've got is uh, in the the area of parent advocacy and just that parent uh, school relationship. And so especially as a lot of schools um, around the country and a lot of a lot of families are trying to either make their last minute decisions right now about what to do for school or are, you know, with with great hesitancy, like strapping the mask on extra tight and, you know, getting their kids out the door. Um what, what would you, you know, what are some of the things that you would like to say um, on, on the precipice of a new school year? Um, what are some things that parents need to know um, to better advocate and to better support their schools? That's
3: a good question. That's a big question. Right. And um, <laughs> indeed, this is a terrifying time to be a parent um, and an educator. Yeah. Yeah. And so really in my mind, the the best advice I would give any parent uh, really just ties in what Jocelyn is saying and what Becca is saying about relationship. Parents build relationships with the people in your school, teachers, administrators. um, We all need to lead from a place of grace. The teachers are doing the very best they can do, and I'm I'm now I'm really going to be transparent um, on this side of the fence the the school building side of the fence trying to navigate the technology that's required to do virtual learning and trying to make it quality for our students. It's overwhelming, so parents. Uh, I would say, remember that that teacher is a human being, probably with the family and to lead with grace and don't be afraid to feel like you're an equal partner. Uh, And that's the thing that I've wanted parents always to understand. You are an equal partner in the process of educating your children You have a voice, utilize your voice. If you've got a concern, raise it. If you want to give a shout out to a teacher, don't be afraid to do that. You are a very important partner in the entire process. Jocelyn talked about community partners. Becca talked about the importance of attachment. Parents, you get right in there and you be attached and you be a good partner, Uh, because it's going to take all of us. This is an unprecedented time. None of us, as old as I am, I was not here for the pandemic (laughs) flu, the Spanish flu. I'm old, but I'm not that old. So none of us have lived through the kind of stress emotionally, physically, that we're enduring right now. Uh, and we need each other. To, if, if we're going to come out of this thing intact in any way, we really need to work together on behalf of our children. We need to work together. So parents, get get in there.
0: Absolutely. So uh, maybe, maybe as we kind of wrap up here, one of the last things I'd love for us to talk about, um, and it, it's right down that lane, Jackie, Uh, for parents who are doing virtual learning or a hybrid of virtual learning and in-person stuff um, or maybe are for the first time homeschooling or uh, good good friends of ours and and everybody on this uh, show knows them, but good friends of ours who had homeschooled and they'd had this date circled for years as, hey, when they get to these grades, we're going to send them to uh, in-person school. And now this year, they're like, "Are you kidding? This is the year. <laughs> they, this is their first school experience." Is 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 this um, for for parents um, who are who are starting to tackle this um, right now? Uh, are there any practical pieces of advice you guys can offer from the school side of things to say, hey, watch out for this particularly with with virtual learning or with um, at-home learning or, or pandemic learning, however you want to phrase it.
3: I love that word pandemic learning.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I have thought about um, prior to this, but even more so now that we are virtual for the majority of the schools that are starting um, the school that I'm at this year is virtual is to recognize that kids learn differently and virtual learning right now is pretty much auditory, right? Like you have to be able to just hear what's going on and maybe visual because you have to pay attention to a slide or something, but that is really only going to meet a certain percentage of kids and adults, really honest, if we're being honest, right? The teachers that are having a hard lift are having a hard lift because they don't express themselves. They don't teach through a screen. They teach in person and they're, they're good at that. So, So I think for parents especially, and teachers too, is to recognize that your child may be struggling not because they're not like excited about online learning, but because they literally cannot access it because it's in a module or a form that they can't really, they can't get the most out of. So for a parent, I would try my best to see if there is alternative ways to get your child's learning to them. Like, are they sending out packets for people? Can you get one to supplement their learning? Um, some some teachers are utilizing different forms to teach online. Uh, I know the school that I'm at is using Nearpod. It was new to me this year. But one of the cool things about it is you can do, like, a color or draw in for your answer. Um, and oh, so for okay. kids, especially little ones, who can't type, because hello, like, what <laughs> kindergartner is going to type? Right? But, like, right. you can... You can figure out with your finger or with a mouse pretty quickly how to draw something, and yeah. so I've even con- you know incorporated that into the sessions that I'll do online, where I can give kids a chance to live time draw for me, and that's just another way to express, right? So that's part of it is like trying to figure out what your what your child needs and see if you can advocate for it that way. Um, but I would also say too is like we can get so caught up in the like oh we have to do this we have to do this and to some extent that's true like your child at some point has to learn something this year but you can have fun and you can find out ways to say yes in that so we you know jackie and i we've talked about this with teachers when we were in the building about pushing teachers to figure out ways that they can creatively say yes so yes you have to do this do now right but are they allowed to use a crayon today And any color crayon, if they're going to get the work done, can you use a crayon? So with your kids too at home, like, yes, you have to be online right now, but can you sit on the couch? Can you sit in your bed? Can you sit outside for the hour, right? Giving them some flexibility to still have voice. And that's helping them know that like, oh, my parent or my caregiver cares about what is good for me, but also what I like. And when we are having fun, we learn better. I mean, we just do. Um, And so then also trying to figure out like how we can say yes more and what that looks like. And there is no like, here's the worksheet that tells you how to say yes, because it's going to depend on each person, right? Your yes right. <laughs> is different than my yes. Yeah. Um, but as a parent and as a teacher too, we have to do the work of building relationship to know what those yeses are.
0: That's so, so good. Yes. I, so uh, Becca, you know, you're at a school that has been in session now for several weeks. Um, our, our kids are, Oh, one week. Okay. Our, our kids are at a um, school that they're starting their third week tomorrow of school so far. Um, Beck, I wonder if from week one, there were any observations you had where you think, oh man, parents, if you can kind of keep this mindset through the first week and maybe overemphasize these few things or overpay attention to these few things, what, what would those things be for you?
1: Yeah. So one thing uh, that's unique about our school is that we are offering virtual and in-person so the parent can choose. And so my thoughts for our in-person students, we welcomed them uh, this week for the first time with a lot of new rules for safety and temperature checks and masks and social distancing. Um, so one thing that we did before we welcomed kids was come up with a fun, uh, our three W's. So our three W's are we can keep each other safe by wearing a mask, washing our hands and watching our distance. So even something simple like that, like coming up with something to help yeah. your kiddo get prepared for it can be really helpful. Um, wearing a mask is really, really challenging. So if if at any time in the future you're you're going to send your kid to in-person school, go ahead and try it at home. Try it on a drive. Do it with them. Um I dislike wearing a mask a lot, (laughs) especially whenever it's Memphis humidity and I'm doing the car line. (laughs) I do not like it at all. Um, But they do get used to it and they can learn to tolerate it, Yeah. but it's something that takes practice. So I would encourage just practicing it, Um, making it silly, play peekaboo with it. If you have little ones, you know, just make it fun, Um, be playful with it play a guessing game about what does my face look right like right now? Am I happy or sad or am I mad and help (laughs) them learn how to look at the eyes because that's new for all of us. Teach them to speak up because when you got little baby kindergartners and (laughs) pre-K coming in and they're trying to tell you their name through the mask (laughs) and you have no idea what (laughs) they're saying, that can be really, that can be really tricky. So just the mask is a big part of it and social distancing is another. So Kids need, 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 humans need, need, need physical touch and affection. And right now we are all deprived of that. We can't even hug, you know, our best friends or our neighbors. And so you are going to need to overdo the physical affection in a way that you've never had to do before. Because you're going to send your kid to school and this goes for virtual and in person your kids are not experiencing high fives and hugs and, you know, just being real close dance parties where they're dancing with their friends. They're just not. And so you're going to need to overdo it with the physical affection. Um, that's what I would say about the, for the in-person folks, a couple thoughts um, and just be excited about it. If you're scared all the time, if you're scared of, the, of your kid going to school and they feel that they're going to pick up on it and they're going to be scared. If you're constantly going, don't take the mask off. <laughs> they are also going to be scared. But if you're like, right. Oh, it slips. But here's how we fix it. Like right, if you just do that, right, right, that's right. what we're doing at school. We're not scaring anybody. We're just helping them learn. It's a learning process. Yeah. These are new social norms for all of us to learn. <laughs> For the virtual ones, I would say routine, 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 whatever you can do to build a routine that works for your kid and make it visual for them. Put it up on the whiteboard, put it up on sticky notes on the wall, anything visual to help them know what's coming and just know that paying attention on a screen is like not this is not scientific, but it's probably like 50 <laughs> times as hard. <laughs>
0: so yes. yeah, definitely.
1: That's whether you're an adult or a kid. So just be ready for them to struggle paying attention. You know, as your schedule allows or whoever can can be with them, try to listen for what the teacher's saying in case they miss something. Um you have a life and a job and other things too, as a parent, but as much as you can, especially in the beginning, really be close by and helping them learn what it looks like and helping them when they accidentally magnify their screen and they can't read anything (laughs) anymore. Um, That's going to be really important. So just Jocelyn said this, but it's so true. You have to make it fun. And right now y'all, none of us are having fun. This isn't fun for any of us. This is hard and it's scary. (laughs) But for the kids, you know, so my advice to our teachers was we all feel anxious. Let's hold on to each other. Let's talk about that. Let's encourage each other. Let's support each other. And then when the kids come, let's be calm for the kids. And so don't dismiss your feelings, but process those with your safe adults so that you can be a safe adult for your kids. Um, So that would be my two my two things. I feel like Miss Jackie's waiting to jump in. Sure. I'm
3: just enjoying the wisdom of Jocelyn Lee and Becca Tarleton. It's so delightful uh, for me to just see you young women flourish in your calling. Um, Because, you know, I knew when you kind of were young in this journey and now you're just so gifted and professional and learned. (laughs) Uh, And I just really, I I delight in that. I truly do. And um, I just feel so blessed to have been able to kind of walk along, you know, your professional journey and see how influential you are out in the field. JD, I don't know if either one of them said this, but they both teach college students at the graduate level. Did either of you mention that?
0: Of course they did not. Of course they did not,
3: but... They, they are both adjunct professors. Huh? Snap it up. Snap it up. <laughs> so I am super, super proud of these young women, these powerful, brilliant young women. And my advice to parents, it's, you know, You've heard it before. When you're flying and the plane is crashing, you're supposed to put your mask on first, right, before you try to help others. So I would I would remind parents of that to find something that you can do to carve out a few minutes. For me, when my kids were little, I'd go hide in the bathroom. This is a true story. Go hide in the bathroom and read a few minutes of a book. Books gave me life. But parents, find that thing for you that you can do. If it's a cup of coffee, if it's sitting in the backyard, (laughs) if it's eating (laughs) a bucket of ice cream, (laughs) whatever you need to do, try to build that in Uh, um, so that you can be your best self for, for the people around you because there's a lot of weight on your shoulders right now and we need yeah. you to be healthy also, parents.
0: Yeah, all that's so good. I, I mean, for our, our first two weeks of school, full two weeks, uh, Becca, you touched on these things. I can't underscore the importance of like a, some type of board nearby that has instructions for how to log in to your device if you're doing that online, uh, a schedule printed out, Uh, and we did what we did. We've got three kids that are in school, one who's in mother's day out age. And so the, the school kids each have their own bin and they've got their schedule, their folder, um, their headphones and, uh, anything else they might need for their specific tasks in those bins. And then they've got uh, a little card in those bins. That's all their specific logins and their, um, email address and that stuff, um, the other thing is the, the routine piece. We tried to make a habit of celebrating the little wins that are part of this new routine. And so the other morning, uh, our nine-year-old was sitting at the table and, and and they said, it is awesome that five minutes before school, I'm just now starting to eat my waffles. <laughs> and it was like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And she was still early for class, you know? So uh, I think that, that is uh, imperative. Is like rem- remembering the small wins in this, and like creating the language, the constant language of of the temporariness of this setup, right? Like, ah, oh, this is tough. What's the first thing you're gonna you're gonna do once we're out of this time, or what, What's the thing you're most excited about when school goes back to normal, or uh, what's the thing that you, you know the first place you want to go and and hang out or eat or or you know place you want to go uh, once we can do these things again and and keeping that in mind. Um, and so, yeah, I think all these things are, are really helpful. Uh, ladies, thank y'all so much for joining us today on, on, and, and sharing all these different things. And I think we're gonna have to have uh, each of you on again in the future to, to help unpack more um, in the world of education. But thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having us on.
0: Man, what a fun conversation with uh, Jocelyn, Becca, and Jackie. Uh, they're obviously good friends of mine and, and uh, former co-workers of mine. But uh, as you heard in the in the show, they are um, deep wells of, of knowledge and wisdom. And, um, and and they are incredible people. Uh, the work they're doing is uh, is truly inspiring. And so hope that you enjoyed that episode today. And hopefully if you are um, an educator, if you're a teacher, an uh, administrator, coming to listen today. Uh, maybe a friend sent this to you, uh, and we're glad that you listened. And And hopefully there's some practical, great tools that you can take with you and implement right away in the classroom or uh, in the front office there. Um, if you're a parent, uh, I hope that you uh, got some information on how you can advocate. Also, just on what schools go through um, on the administrative kind of staff side uh, and how they can better be set up, maybe you're maybe you're a parent who can start an initiative at a school um, looking for uh, an attachment zone uh, or something of that sort. and so uh, obviously we know that uh, parents are the best advocates for their kids um, and uh, we want them to be empowered to do so and so uh, whatever your takeaway was from today, I hope that you left with some practical tools. Uh, ready to uh, take on this school year, whether it's uh, in person or uh, online. So uh, for Jackie, for Jocelyn, for Becca, uh, and for Mo and Tana, I'm J.D. Wilson. Uh, Our audio each week is mixed, mastered, edited, a painful amount of edits usually, (laughs) by uh, the one and only Kyle Wright. And uh, our music came to us via Tad Jewett. He wrote it. He recorded it. He played every instrument for it, uh, and we're grateful to him for it. So uh, for all of them, we hope that you have a great week, a great start to your school year. If that's that's what's happening for you this week, Uh, we will talk to you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. See you later.